Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Maya, my yoga audio. We're back to reading The End of Me, which is the book that I wrote that was published in February of 2019. And before I dive into chapter seven, just a a thought I wanted to put out there as we move closer and closer to Christmas week and the new year. And if you celebrate these holidays with any sort of gift giving, I'd like, I'd love actually for you to consider purchasing the book uh, in the flesh, so to speak, for family, friends, those who might appreciate learning and reading about this journey. And maybe in the card that goes along with it, you could provide them a link to my yoga audio in case the other topics we discuss here might be of interest to them or if they want to read along with me. You can find the links to purchase the book everywhere on my website, on Instagram, in the link in bio, and on Facebook as well. It's available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Thank you so much for your support. And now, The End of Me, Chapter 7, Shakti, March 2016, Sacramento, California. I witnessed the moment of my conception in my friend Sandra's yoga class, but it took me weeks to gather the courage to iterate that out loud to her. I realize a statement like that seems so unreal. It took me a few days myself to be able to come to terms with what I knew to be true. But when I hold things back, my life is held back. I had been attending Sandra's classes for a few months and found that yoga was now bringing me a profound sense of self in a very spiritual way. In Sandra's classes, though, it wasn't just the physical practice. In the end, in Shavasana, I found myself going on pretty amazing journeys. So much so that Richard, my husband, would say I came home looking and sounding like a different person. In this particular class, Sandra did a guided meditation into Shavasana, moving through the different areas of the body from the feet and all the way up into the head. I never got past the midsection of the body consciously. This particular time, I traveled to a place I did not totally recognize, and yet it did feel familiar. Tunnels surrounded me that were red and full of dark twists and turns. I was not really scared, just a bit confused about where all this was going. At this point in my life, I knew that I had experienced something called astral projection several times. Astral projection is considered to be a paranormal phenomenon that involves an out-of-body experience that happens consciously or unconsciously to a person. It's where their consciousness, spirit, essence or soul, you might say, travels to another space, place or time period. It is similar to death or near-death experiences in that the person can often see their body as if it is someone else and they travel up and out of the body to another place. These events can be proven in waking life when the person who is projecting comes back with information facts, and occurrences that they couldn't possibly have actually witnessed in person. Even as a child, I had experienced this. I've freaked out more than a few relatives and close friends when I recalled quote-unquote dreams, where I saw things that they did or happened to them, and I had no conceivable way of knowing. I have since met people who purposefully put themselves into this state, and I will admit I do not know how they do it. 
Since all of my experiences have been accidental, I am not sure how this works, but I know it's real. So back to Sandra's class, in these red tunnels, I could tell that this was something internal. This was not astral projection, and this was new to me. When I came to a cavern where something was waiting to happen, I could sense it, and I waited. An explosion of sorts occurred, and I covered my eyes and huddled away. When I opened my eyes, I could see the formation of a tiny little fetus. And in an instant, I just knew that it was me. There was a shock of recognition and a dropping kind of feeling in my heart. Why was I seeing this and what could it mean? I wasn't there very long because back in the room, Sandra was calling us out of this resting pose and my consciousness was being pulled back into this reality. The next time I saw Sandra, we passed each other in the street and she invited me to hear her band play. And Richard, my husband, and I went. We became friends, and she invited me to a gratitude circle for women. Delighted, I agreed to attend. When I arrived at the small office on the first floor of a Victorian home for the gratitude circle, I was instantly enchanted. The artwork on the walls spoke to me. The feeling of the place was safe and cozy and somehow magical. There were crystals and cards throughout that we were invited to play with, hold, or investigate. The kettle was on, ready for tea. The other women there were lovely, full of easy smiles, welcoming arms. It felt good to be there. That day, the circle introduced me to the world of Shakti Rising, a global change organization dedicated to improving the lives of women and girls the world over. But that circle, that circle introduced me to the pathway home that I needed to find for myself. As we sat through a guided meditation and gentle questions and interconnection, I became more and more emotional. I felt like I had finally taken my true seat. Here I was, surrounded by these most beautiful, talented, genuine women who had many of the same abilities and gifts that I did. The power of that was overwhelming, and I cried softly for most of the time, and I was mortified that I wouldn't be invited back because I couldn't seem to get a handle on my emotions. That day, and in the weeks afterwards, my dreams intensified. I was emotional, but with joy. In July, I attended a weekend workshop with Shakti dedicated to discovering more about one's own intuitive powers and an introduction to leadership training. I wasn't sure I was ready for it, but I jumped in and I wasn't sorry. I met some of my now closest friends at this experience, and as intense as it was, I was ready for more. In August of that same year, I was invited to the Shakti Rising once a year meeting, where everyone in the organization meets to plan for the upcoming calendar year. With branches in Hawaii, Oregon, New Mexico, Appalachia, and California, there were potentially hundreds more of these like-minded women. Taking place in Santa Cruz, I drove from Sacramento into the hills, and after a few twists and turns, and even my cell phone signal giving out, I finally made it to the campsite. There was much that weekend that I cannot reveal here, 
That information is and was intended for the women who were there and who also experienced it. But I will say this. I broke open on multiple levels and will never be the same because of it. First of all, I had never camped before. Okay, yes, in a camper once, but that's it. Here we were, out in the Santa Cruz woods, in tents and sleeping bags. I am terrified of bugs. I'm terrified of the wild, the non-urban outdoors. The first night, I don't think I slept at all because I was so afraid. But after that, it was incredible. I was also working on the SEVA team at this event. SEVA translates from Sanskrit to English as service. So I was working on a team with other women to help prepare and serve meals for the rest of the women attending throughout the day. I love preparing food, so it was nice to be a part of this team and figure out how to make creative and nourishing food with the mostly donated supplies. One evening that weekend, a group of us were invited to sleep outside in a circle at the top of a hill. How I even managed to volunteer to do that, I don't even know. But when they asked for volunteers, for whoever felt the most strongly that they needed to be there, it seemed like an otherworldly force was moving my legs to step out into the group and say that I too was going. I have to say that the terror as we climbed that trail was real. Everything that I've ever been scared of, real or imagined, was coming after me that night. I couldn't see my own hand in front of my face. It was so dark. The thick forest was so silent. It was deafening. The sound of my own breath felt like I was screeching in the dark. And my heartbeat was pounding in my ears. When we lay down in a circle, our heads all towards the center, we held hands and comforted each other. Me, mostly. I was the only one who had never camped out of doors, and the other ladies were really kind and reassured me that all would be fine. I was convinced I would be eaten by wild animals, murdered, stolen away, and never seen or heard from again. My dreams and visions that night were legion. It was almost like they were waiting for me to get there, to that spot, so that they could finally come through. To put it Jokingly, all the ghosts of the past, present, and future showed up and had something to say. Not just to me, but to the group as a whole. The next morning, when we debriefed with each other, it felt like when we came down from that hill, we were each of us different people. When I returned from that trip, I had a heart-to-heart with Richard. I couldn't go on a trip like that and see the things I did, and continue to live day to day just like all la-di-da, I was profoundly affected, and it was at this time that I decided to start finding a way out of my current full-time position with the lighting company. I wasn't being fulfilled by the work I was doing. It would take me another seven months to finally make my exit, but I got the groundwork underway. I continued to attend gratitude circles and other similar workshops with the group throughout 2016. And then in May of 2017, I was finally able to go on a four-day intensive retreat that is intended to start the process of becoming a teacher with them. I was over the moon. By that time, I had given notice at my job, received a new job offer at another company, and I was ready to go. Again, 
What I can logically share here is somewhat limited because Shakti experiences are experiential in their very nature, and they become reduced and oversimplified by words which can do them no justice. But I will share what I can. Yoga, again, transformed this experience for me in a way that I didn't think was possible. Each morning, we started the day with yoga movement, often set to the rising or just risen sun. And as grumpy and tired as we might all feel, we always felt great afterwards, ready for breakfast and to start the day's events. However, on the third morning, something was different. These relatively simple movements that I had done hundreds, if not thousands of times before, took on another dimension of experience. I found my emotions to be bubbling up. My heart was racing. I started questioning everything I had ever believed about myself. Everything. As we went through the movements, I couldn't see through my tears, and eventually I was sobbing and couldn't stop. When we finished, I was still crying, and I asked the teacher, Bree, what was happening? She looked at me kindly and encouraged me to sit and cry and journal. And when I calmed down enough to take in food and drink again, I sat with it and just see what came up for me. I realized after following her advice that I was sitting with a new truth, a new truth about myself about the lies I had told myself my whole life just to be able to get by, to keep smiling, to just keep on keeping on. And it was killing something off inside of me, something that had been my lifeline for, well, my entire life. I had kept my paranormal experiences to myself or only told those who were very, very close to me for fear of judgment, retribution, fear of being called crazy, fear of all of that and more. In this society, you go to school, you get a degree or three, you get a job, and you keep that job unless you can get a better job because all of that makes sense. Except it doesn't make sense if that's not who you are. I have no regrets about school. I could stay in school for the rest of my life, but... What I did regret was that at 43 years old, I was still keeping the most important parts of me a secret from myself and from the world. I was unbearably sad that I had these gifts that had been relegated to the occasional wine-induced conversation with a trusted friend or family member and not shared as the ancestral, life-guiding, and valuable and healing knowledge that it was and could be. My meditations within Shakti had become so incredible that I had begun to receive messages and images from those gone before, from different times and different places. I was valued and encouraged by my Shakti mentors to keep up with this flow of information and to learn to discern what was meant for me personally and what, if anything, might be meant for anyone else. I hesitate to call myself an oracle, and yet, this is what the women closest to me within the group sometimes call me. I don't have a website or a 1-800 number, and I'm not selling anything to do with it. And I'm not passing judgment on those who do. If they truly have the ability to do what they say and offer a service to those who wish to pay for it, I applaud them and am happy for those who receive their true insight and guidance. 
it doesn't work for me in the ways you see on TV where someone sits before you and asks when the love of their life is going to show up or when they will get pregnant. It's not like that at all for me. As it happens, I will see someone sometimes and oftentimes it's someone I don't even know and I will get a flash of information about their life. A lot of the time, most of the time actually, it's not pleasant. I've seen that someone is molesting their grandchild. I've seen that someone is going to die an early death. I've seen that someone is cheating on their spouse. I've seen that someone has killed or seriously harmed another person. A lot of the time, I just see and feel the suffering, and then the reason behind the suffering comes up. And ironically, for people I am close to, I usually can't see these things. And so I often wonder what the purpose of me seeing these random things is at all. What am I supposed to do with this information besides traumatize myself with what I see? For many years, in my 30s mostly, I purposely shut down these gifts. I hated going to sleep and dreaming about horrific world events that I sometimes woke up to being true the next day. I didn't want these flashes of insight into people I didn't even know and that didn't seem to hold any good within them. But working within Shakti made me see things differently again and once more had hope that something could be done with this ability. Through Shakti, I met my friend Angie and she introduced me to the next person who would encourage the next big shift in my life. Chapter 8, Orea. Meeting Orea was like all of my life, coming to a full tire squealing halt in front of me and saying, hey, this is exactly where you need to be, so pay attention. My friend Angie told me about Orea and explained that she was hosting a psychic school. I beg your pardon? Yes, a psychic school. I was intrigued. This six-month-long course was for people who knew they had certain abilities but weren't quite sure what to do with them or how to harness and focus them. It's funny how things come up on your path over and over again, isn't it? How is it that this course seemed to be tailor-made just for me? Well, it seemed to be tailor-made for about 10 of us, actually, and we all began together in January of 2017. Orea used to work as a traditional talk therapist, and after many years, she switched her practice to the energetic and healing modalities that she does full-time now. After years of showing and teaching people one-on-one -on -one how to work with this energy, she got the idea to start her own coursework and school and enrolled all 10 of us, her first students, by word of mouth only. As of this writing, Aurea is now in the middle of her third group of 10 students, and needless to say, it's going swimmingly well. Of the roster of gifts Aurea has to offer, the biggest one she offered me was the ability to be seen. I have mentioned my fears in talking about my experiences, and I told everyone around me who asked that I was taking a six-month, quote, meditation course. It wasn't exactly a lie. We did begin every teaching session with a guided meditation, and we did spend a lot of time with our eyes closed reading into personal energies. But there again, my truths and myself were being hidden from the world. Araya worked with me to help me get more comfortable in talking about what I can see and do. And in July of 2017, she invited us all to help her at her booth at a psychic fair in a local park. 
She would be doing free readings with people, and any one of us could also volunteer to do so. I was not comfortable with doing that, and I agreed to just mind the table and talk to anyone who stopped by and had questions. At the close of the day, Araya wanted to take some pictures with those of us who were still there. When she and I went to pose together, I looked her in the eye and smiled, and for a moment, just a moment, my mother, Ria, was there. She literally popped her head out of her head and smiled at me, and there was a sound with it, kind of like a tinkling bell and a soft sighing at the same time. She told me she loved me, and I was instantly in tears of gratitude, and I knew I had made the right decision to take this course and meet this amazing woman and the rest of the women who were there on the journey with me. During this course, we delved into quite a bit about past lives. I was so thrilled to get into the subject matter. And in fact, Araya taught us that for many people, it is past life karma that holds them back in this life more than anything else. Within our first group sessions, we learned to scan our own body energies and figure out where our blockages were. I found out quickly that my strongest blockage was in my throat. Surprise, surprise, the Megan Truth Serum strikes again. For the throat, I learned that sound is a profound energy releaser. For example, singing, humming, or using tuning forks and certain types of vibrations can all help with this. When it came time to work in partners, I teamed up with someone I hadn't known prior to this course. She immediately saw a past life in me where I had been enslaved. Literally, she saw me in chains, they were around my throat and in my hands. I had been truly powerless and subjected to a totally brutal lifetime at the hands of an exceptionally cruel man. I could feel the truth in what she said and saw. She was shaking and on the verge of tears the whole time. I could barely swallow as she spoke. Another woman in the class, Sethine, who worked with me later, saw another lifetime where I was not allowed to speak. I had been a scribe who had spent a lifetime writing down the words of others, but was not permitted to speak myself. Another new friend in the class, Elena, saw me as a lifetime servant in a household where I had also been forced into unwanted sexual situations at the mercy of the head of the household, who did not allow me to speak without permission. I was just in awe of these people who did not know me and yet seemed to see such detailed and truly convincing past lives that explained a lot about the weight I was carrying with me today. In college, I had innumerable infections, bouts of strep throat, and throughout my life, I've had recurrent bouts of, quote, losing my voice. My doctor even asked me at one point, what are you not saying? At the time she said that to me, I wasn't ready to take a closer look at myself or my life. And so her message fell on deaf ears. But coming into Araya's group, I felt at home with my abilities and with my group. And finally, I too was able to see things about both their lives and mine, past and present, that I was able to share with them and they with me. One day, overwhelmed by my full-time work, the course material, and life in general, I checked in with my human resources manager and asked to take a couple of my vacation days. I needed to get away from my day-to-day -day and do some soul-searching. My neck and back were acting up, and I was in serious pain. 
was having a hard time extending my right arm as it would tense and spasm almost right up to my ear. I decided to go to the newly opened Asha Urban Baths, which is a combination yoga studio and bathhouse that had a whirlpool tub, steam room, sauna, and a cold plunge pool. I just wanted to be in the water and let go. When I got there, I noticed they had massage therapy available. I had only ever had two massages in my lifetime, and they had left me in more pain than I came in with and slightly nauseous. But something was telling me that I needed to do this. So even though I hesitated, I asked. Sure enough, within about half an hour, a therapist would be available. And in the meantime, I could just sit and enjoy the baths. So I did just that. I soaked and steamed and breathed and tried to let go of all that I didn't need in that moment. When it was time for the massage, I let her know what was ailing me and what my past experiences with massage had been like. I can hardly tell you what a miraculous experience this massage was and for several reasons. First of all, an expert, kind and caring touch. She always checked in with me on pressure and pain and gave me advice on how to keep the mobility going when I left. She chided me for being a yoga teacher and yet having so much work to do to relax in my own body. At one point, though, I kind of drifted away. I was on my stomach with my head comfortably resting in the donut hole kind of pillow so that I could breathe normally, and I went somewhere else. Not asleep, because I could still feel her hands and hear the soft music in the room, but somewhere else. I was walking up a craggy rock, kind of a hill. My feet were bare and scratched and dirty. I was sore and tired. I had some kind of a minimal robe or cape on that used to be a beautiful blue, but nothing else. I knew that I was naked underneath that thin material, and I was so full of sadness that I could feel the weight sinking into my feet with each step. The heaviness in my heart was unbearable. I could feel the tears streaming down my face and my hair was whipping about my head in the wind. The sun was setting quickly and somehow it was important that I get to the top before the sun sank below the horizon. The sky was almost totally orange. This woman who I was seeing and somehow being was someone who I once was, and she was mourning the death of her young son and her husband. It was a very, very, very long time ago. Her husband had gone off to fight, and in his absence, a local man in power had taken to forcing her into his bed, and she had spoken out against him, and in punishment, he told her that her husband would not come home from the fighting, and he made sure that it happened. Devastated, she still tried to reject him, and he retaliated once more by killing her young son. Thinking she would finally submit willingly, and with nothing left to tie her to her former life, the man was mistaken. She climbed to the top of the tallest peak she could find and threw herself off of it to her death, where she could join her husband and son forever. That day, I met her there, and we merged. In the air, as she jumped, I jumped too. My body met with hers, and this time, instead of plummeting to the rocks below, we forgave each other, and she floated up, up, up into the sky, smiling to meet her end rather than falling below on the gruesomeness of the jagged rocks that her body had met before. Next, 
I recalled yet another life. I was sitting down and wearing a red robe and brushing my hair, and it was long and black and straight. Funny, since my hair in this lifetime is so curly. This contradiction caused me to stop brushing and look up. There was a mirror there, and I was clearly Japanese. It was almost a stereotype of a person that I was looking at with crimson lips, a pale milky face, shiny hair, and beautiful silky and draped clothing. I knew instantly that I must be wealthy or at least the recipient of very nice things. Suddenly, a little face appeared in the doorway, pulling the curtain to the side. My son, a little boy about five or six years old, was shy and smiling. I reached out to him, and he came to me and smooshed himself into my belly in silk robing. I whispered to him in another language that I don't know now, but I was reassuring him and rocking him, and he nodded. I can still feel his little head moving. Both times that I was pregnant with my this-lifetime daughters, I thought I was having sons. I was so surprised when they were girls, but maybe this is why. When my son left the room, I continued to brush my hair and I looked in the mirror, and my eyes welled up with the painful secret of my son. I could not acknowledge him publicly, for it would be a scandal for someone in my station and for my patron. I was some sort of mistress or kept woman, I suppose. In exchange for keeping him quiet, I could keep us both living well. So again, another lifetime of secrecy and keeping my mouth shut. From slavery to servitude to sexual favor or even downright rape, it was lifetime upon lifetime of never being allowed to be in my own body and mind for my own self. Other lifetimes also came forward, and in every one, I had been horribly killed, drowning, burning, beating, stabbing. It was unending and immensely sad. In one case, I know that I was only a child when it happened, and it was because my mother was the one being punished for her mouth and her abilities, and as her child, I was made to suffer too. So I could choose to dwell in these memories and lifetimes, or I could... As Araya put it, it was literally time to let this shit go. From this lifetime to the many lifetimes ago, relive, forgive, acknowledge, and let go. In freeing this past version of self, I came a step closer to freeing the current version of myself. As painful as it was to recognize, it was true. With each step I took towards that letting go, the more my physical pain retreated. Each step I took, the more my emotional pain retreated. Each step I took, the closer I came towards my true self, my true name, Satnam. <laughs>